Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we talk about the death of philosopher Roger Scruton. Roger Scruton was a British philosopher, an English philosopher who lived from February 27th, 1944 to January 12th, 2020. He recently passed away of cancer. I heard it was bone cancer. Scruton is perhaps the most consequential conservative philosopher of recent years, of the last 40 or 50 years or so. Those who tracked developments in higher education, in the academic world, and intellectual life more broadly will know that Roger Scruton was a figure with whom one had to deal if one was going to make a serious case for any uh, significant element of the life of the mind. Scruton wrote over 50 books on philosophy, music, politics, art, literature, wine, sexuality, religion, and so on. He wrote books about operas. He wrote books about hunting. He wrote books about his own life. His autobiography, Gentle Regrets, is perhaps the book I would encourage you to start with in thinking through the life and work of Roger Scruton. Roger Scruton was not an evangelical Christian, to my knowledge. He could be. He could have been. And yet he did, over time, as his life wore on, return to the Anglican Church. He played uh, music in the Anglican Church, the piano, the organ, for his local Anglican church, no amazing congregation in terms of size or, or physical structure of the building or something like this. And yet Scruton wrote movingly about what drew him back to Anglicanism, even if figures from the evangelical world still were hoping to see a stronger affirmation, a clear affirmation, that is, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, Nonetheless, Scruton has left behind a tremendous body of thought that is very much worth engaging and worth reading, dealing with. Scruton became a conservative after the 1968 French student protests. He saw student rebellion that, in effect, really did not have a major cause behind it. That was rebellion for rebellion's sake. He recognized, as time wore on, that this was a feature of progressive or leftist thought, and so for uh, for various reasons, he ended up leaving. He ended up leaving the left and became a man of the right. He is a, a figure then who shows us something that we see recurring throughout the 20th century and throughout history more broadly, and that is that when there is cultural revolution or rebellion, and when it is driven by the left, and when it is not connected to any meaningful body of thought that is actually true, in other words, when people are fighting, but they are not fighting for something that is true, there are going to be a lot of people in those kind of situations who step back, consider what is actually transpiring, and start thinking hard about it. This is what happens with Scruton. This is what happens throughout the 20th century, as various liberals, uh, in the phrase of one of the neoconservatives, get mugged by reality. In other words, they see real-life things happening that don't coincide with the philosophy they have been taught, the dogma they have been handed. Scruton is one such figure in his own way. He sees that there is not actually any greater body of meaningful thought animating student protests in France, and that causes him to be profoundly jaded by what is transpiring around him. I would suspect that this little anecdote from Scruton's life 
that is the reason we are talking about him really in human terms as such a consequential philosopher has tremendous significance for our time in 2020 when there is also great cultural foment. In other words, when there is much rebellion and revolution against traditional thought and traditional practices and a traditional conception of virtue and a traditional conception of the home and the family and manhood and womanhood, these sorts of things, we should be keen. Those of us in particular who are in ministry, we should be keen to look for those on the edges of these kind of movements who are becoming out of tune with them, who are thinking them through. They may not, you know, overnight leave uh, such movements, leave progressivism or leftism or these kind of of phenomena, and yet they are thinking very deeply about these kind of situations. Recently, the New York Times, for example, did a major piece on PragerU, PragerU being the media outlet that runs a good deal of conservative material. And PragerU, as the New York Times found, I think rightly, actually, though the the story cast significant doubt on the goodness of PragerU. It was more fair than some pieces, though, that should be said, uh, that that have been about conservative figures and Christian figures in recent years. Anyway, this this piece showed that PragerU actually is having a tremendous impact on campus among young people, including on many campuses where there are virtually no conservative voices. By the way, that is many, many, perhaps even most Uh, secular universities and colleges in America and even in the West today, there is shocking disparity between professors who self-identify as liberal and those who self-identify as conservative. And so you think the deck is stacked, and so students automatically, innately, are going to be tuned out uh, from conservatism and turned out as young leftists. Well, look, many are. Uh, These schools are having a tremendous effect on our society and, and broader Western society. And yet, there is a counter-revolution that has been launched by outfits like PragerU, and that was driven at an intellectual level, the highest level, in philosophical terms, in terms of conservatism, by figures like Roger Scruton, very much at the forefront in the UK, but also in America. What does that show us? Well, it shows us what we already know from Scripture. This is simply how ideas that are not necessarily directly Christian, explicitly Christian, that is, play out in the, in the public square in the cultural life of a society or a, or a setting like ours. And we know from the Scripture that, that renegade movements like that which Jesus himself led can have nothing less than world-shaping influence, can change the world in and of themselves, even if they are denied all the levers of power. That is exactly what happens with the gospel of Jesus Christ, through Christ himself dying and making atonement for our sin, rising from the grave for our life, our eternal life, our vindication before the Father, and then rising to the Father's right hand in his ascension, and then his his apostles taking that gospel that Jesus preached and and, in truth embodied, uh, actuated, if you will, his apostles taking that gospel to the ends of the earth in their own way, in their own time, as much as they could, and that spreading across the earth in the first century all the way up to the current day. And this was an outlaw movement. This was a renegade movement. This was not a culturally approved movement. For several centuries, at least, Christianity had no official sanction. There were different waves of persecution that broke out against it. It was not one unbroken period of persecution, the church's first 300, 400 centuries. That's not true. And yet there were distinct and different waves of persecution that broke out and that should have, by all rights, stamped out the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that preaches the true gospel, that preaches the gospel that you must be born again based on the 
faith, based on faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is. This movement should not be existing. I shouldn't be talking into a microphone on a wintry day in Kansas City in January 2020 about Jesus and his apostles. By rights, the whole thing should have been stamped out. This mini-revolution should have ended centuries ago, millennia ago, but it didn't. It didn't because it was true. It spoke the truth. It conveyed true ideas. It still does. It's, it's still spreading. The kingdom of Christ advances all across the world, even as we live in a very fallen age. Well, that's true in a spiritual and a theological sense, of course. But here's the deal. There are also true ideas that are derived from Scripture in some way that we take into the public square with us. And there are, it must be said, unbelievers, those who are not born-again believers, who believe in some of those ideas in some form, and they partner with Christians in the public square to champion those ideas as well. And Roger Scruton was one such figure. Roger Scruton is a figure that I would encourage you to read, to brush up on. Interestingly, he left behind a good number of videos as well that you can find on outlets like YouTube. There are interviews. Now, you need to know that Scruton is, is a very deep thinker, and uh, so he, when he talks, it's not necessarily quickly digestible. Uh, you have to buckle up. You have to be ready for some serious intellectual engagement, as I'm, I'm sure many are. But the fact is, uh, though conservatives traditional folks, religious people, certainly evangelical Christians who, by God's grace, love the true gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved them, all these different groups have effectively lost so much cultural influence in formal terms in the American academy, and yet, and yet, because of outlets like PragerU, because of YouTube videos, um, because of podcasts, because of Twitter accounts, these sorts of things today, this new media has allowed for the outbreaking of conservative voices like Roger Scruton's in our time. Scruton also made a major mark in his life when he went in the 1980s behind the Iron Curtain and he established underground universities, he called them, others called them, uh, in in Soviet-controlled places and countries. And uh, uh, for the Polish people, for the Czech people, others, he effectively functioned as a one-man university. He would meet with interested people who would pick up word of his coming in kitchens and in living rooms, and he would educate them in conservative philosophy that eventually seeded the ground in these countries Uh, for a new conservative movement that eventually would help reshape these countries as they came out from under the shadow of the Soviets. So Scruton, man, he's a guerrilla intellectual. He's an endlessly fascinating man. He has a brilliantly cluttered study. If you look up images of Roger Scruton's study or something like this at his home, he purchased a farm, a, a beautiful plot of land, Uh, in the countryside of England. He could look out on green fields. He grew plants and crops and fruit and these sorts of things. He was a man uh, of the earth. In other words, he loved his environment. He was a localist. He shows us, he reminds us that localism and the movement behind craftsmanship really are conservative instincts. If, if you really want to push back, you would say, I think, biblical instincts, because again, as I am arguing in a certain uh, style here, 
conservatism is derived from biblical wisdom. Scruton, therefore, summons us in our time to love our own environment, to love beauty. Perhaps above all, Scruton, interestingly, is an esthetician. He's a philosopher of beauty. He loves to look for beauty in this world. He has a strong theory of beauty and is a strong voice for traditional objective standards of beauty. And he is one of the most important thinkers of our time in that category, in addition to many others. But he didn't just believe in beauty and talking about beauty and defending it as a concept in traditional objective terms. He also believed in cultivating it. And, uh, and that is what is so interesting about him as well. He reminds me in a certain form of a figure like a Tolkien or a Lewis. Not that these figures necessarily overlap in every way, philosophically or theologically or intellectually, although there is widespread overlap. All three men are strong conservatives in their own form. Um, but these, these are all men who loved place. They loved localism. They loved the made world. They looked for beauty, yes, in the great things, but also in the small things, and so should we. In sum, Roger Scruton was a tremendously impactful philosopher. He was a philosopher who, as I said, could write at the highest levels, could form rich, complex, and compelling arguments for conservatism, for beauty, for traditional architecture, and much more. And yet he was also one who put his ideas to work. He went behind the Iron Curtain. He met with people uh, in small groups, not massive groups, not thousands of people before him hanging on his every syllable as, as it boomed out to them. No, he met in living rooms and kitchens in order to convey conservative principles. He is a figure who summons us in our time to make the case afresh for the permanent things, for that which is good, true, and beautiful for that which will endure in this life, even from a Christian standpoint, for that which will endure into all eternity. Many of us are thankful for the life and work of Roger Scruton, and many of us will find a fresh summons as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those claimed by the gospel of grace, to make the case afresh in our time, not only for conservatism, but for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.